Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson.
a bag or a bushel full of seed, and the person would just grab a handful of seed and throw it, grab a handful of seed and throw it, and it would walk back and forth across their acreage. If it was a very big plot of land, multiple people would do this, and they hadn't really, I don't know if they're understanding about putting seeds in rows and stuff, but at least in what we know from the Gospels, what we know from the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, Boaz was a farmer, and it tells us in that book how he farmed. And so this is a, a common thing. People who heard this would say, I know this, I've either seen it or I am this. A lot of people were farmers. Uh, the farmers of ancient Israel were the ones who fed people. You had uh, your you know, your bread at every table, you had your vegetables at every table. And it is, these things came from the farmers. Most of them would uh, grow wheat. Many of them would cook, uh, would grow barley. Barley was used for feed so that you could have animals along with your meal. And so this idea of using a very common uh, employment, a very common occurrence, and saying something about it is a way for Jesus to, to put it into people's minds. When these people left uh, the shore and went back home, they would remember the teaching because it was something that they recognized. And so there are four different kinds of soil in this, and when you're throwing the seed, it might end up on the road. And it ends up on the road. In the parable, the uh, birds will come and take it away. If it's on the rocky ground, uh, what you have to remember is that Israel is built on sandstone. If you dig down any distance at all, you are going to hit sandstone. Most of the uh, big blocks that you see in models of the old temple and stuff are sandstone and that sort of sandstone that is moved into uh, granite with marble in it. And, but the basis of it is sandstone and so you have a bedrock. And so if you have a plot of land, you got two acres and you're going to plant wheat, you don't, you don't have the money for a plow, you don't have the money to bring in more topsoil, you don't have the money to do anything to it, you clear it out as best as you can, but there will be some parts of your land where the soil is very thin, where the bedrock comes up, where the bedrock gets in your way, of course, since it's bedrock, you can't get rid of it. And so if a seed hits that, plants will grow. Plants will either grow, up or down or sideways. That's how plants grow. They, the way God has built them is they get a little bit of sun, a little bit of moisture, and they're going to grow. And if a plant hits the bedrock, it can only go up if you're a wheat stalk. And so it goes very, very tall, probably taller than all the rest, but it has no roots. So when the sun comes out and it begins to dry out a little bit, the rocky ground will burn up. If you're thrown into the weeds, the weeds back then, the weeds that we have today are all of the thistle family. If you read Genesis, one 
one of the curses that was given to Adam for sinning was thistles, which means artichokes. Artichokes are part of the curse because they're a thistle. You can like artichokes if you want. The idea is thistles are very fast growing. They have very deep roots and very tall stalks. And so if you put wheat in the same area as thistle, when a little bit of water hits it or a little bit of sun hits it, the thistle is going to grow twice as big and the roots are going to choke out the roots of the wheat. Then you have the good soil. The good soil is good soil because it's been prepared because the weeds and the rocks have all been removed and it's nowhere near the road. And when seeds hit it, they will have deep roots, they will have tall stalks, and Jesus says that they will produce um, 160 or 30 times. Now, if you read through uh, some Old Testament passages and do a web search, you will find that back in the day when you were doing subsistence farming, you were really, really lucky to get eight to one. If you had a bushel of seed, and you planted it. When the harvest time came, you would get eight bushels of wheat. If you got that, it was a good harvest, it was a good day, you did good things. That was considered a blessing of God. And so that's why when you remember the story of the rich farmer who had so much that he was going to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. It was rare in that day to have enough wheat, enough barley, enough vegetables to last into the next year. You would plant it, you would eat whatever you had gotten from the previous, you would then uh, get this wheat, turn it into bread, turn it into whatever, turn it into grain, and then from that, you would begin to run out right about the time the next harvest happened. You only had enough to last until the next harvest. And if you had a bad harvest, if you only got four bushels out of your seed, then your family would either have to babe or they would starve a little. They would lose a lot of weight that year. The idea that you would plant and have to wait. And so when Jesus says, in this story, you've got somebody who plants the seed, one bushel of seed, and they get a hundred, or they get sixty, or they get thirty. That was unheard. Of. That was miraculous. If that happened, they would consider, you know, God was right there in the wheat and doing these things. And so this is Jesus's conclusion to get them to begin to answer questions and to get them to wonder about. It. That in the book of Matthew, and this intermission is not in uh, Mark or Luke, but in the book of Matthew, he has a little intermission about the meaning of parables. And his point is, if you have had the truth of God back then in the scrolls, in the synagogue, in the temple, if you had access to everything that God offered, and everybody in Israel did, Okay, even if you lived up in Galilee, you know, 70 some odd, 90 miles away from Jerusalem, you would make that trek at least three times a year 
to hear the word of God and to hear people teaching it. There were synagogues up in Galilee. There were teachers, people. If they wanted to know and accept the truth of God, it was right there in front of them. Now, if you look at today, man, it's that exponentially bigger. Anybody who says, I do not know anything about God, is not trying. Because it is available everywhere. It's available on YouTube, podcasts. There are churches everywhere. They're open to the public. You can go to a church and you can hear various ways to get it going so that if you're talking with somebody and they say they don't know anything about God, that is a willful ignorance. That is a, they don't want to know anything about God. This is not an area of their interest. And so Jesus is saying in these intermission verses, but if you do that long enough to God, you say, I don't want to know about you. Yes, your truth is here. I don't want it. Yes, your Bible is here. I don't want it. You do that long enough, eventually God's going to stop teaching you. God's going to stop making a truth available to you. There is an end to God's patience of people uh, shaking their fist at God, saying, I don't want to know anything about you. And so Jesus is saying that the people in this crowd are reaching that point that they have had enough truth about God that they have rejected, that they have created, in essence, a false religion about it, that God is done teaching them that Jesus is going to focus on the 12 disciples. And so that is a, a sense that you get throughout all the Gospels that Jesus is focusing his teaching on the 12 and then the 11. And it is from them that the truth of Christianity is going to spread out. And God does, when the explosion after the after Pentecost happens, focuses a lot of attention on the Gentiles because the Jews have been shaking their fist at God for quite a long time. So what does this mean? What does Jesus Tell his disciples that this means the soils are different hearts. Okay? In your heart, in your center, in your center of belief, you are you there are four different conditions that can happen. The seed is the gospel, is the word of God. And especially today, when you look at how it's all put out there on the internet and how we YouTube the sermons and we put the sermons into a podcast and just put it out there. I don't know who's listening to it. I don't know who's seeing it. We are scattering seeds, just like in this parable land. Millions of churches and teachers are doing the same thing. They're just putting it out there and letting God direct people to it. And so the idea of Scattering the word of God is not a, an unknown thing. If you have, you know, Jesus is in a boat and he's talking to people on the shore. And apart from the fact that he's God who knows them all individually, if he was just a teacher, he wouldn't know who was receiving it. He was just be preaching the word of God to them. And that is how 
a lot of preaching is done today. This is just done, especially uh, with COVID, online and on Facebook and on things like this. And the hope is that as it's scattered, people are hearing it and seeing it. And so the seed is the word of God. And the road is a hard heart. It is a heart of stone. In the Old Testament, it would have been called a stiff-necked heart. Okay? It's somebody who says to God, I don't want to know. Somebody who says to God, I don't need this. When I've witnessed over the years to various people, there are people who will say, I have no need for God. Okay? That's a weird thing to say. But they say, it isn't for me. Or I've tried it and I don't want it. They say, I don't believe in God. But they are doing everything they can to push God away and not gain any understanding. They are actively not understanding. So in the road it says, those who don't understand, we don't say, oh, poor baby, you don't understand. I'm preaching too hard. Perhaps I need to simplify my preaching or teaching. But what is truth is the lack of understanding is chosen. It is that they're willfully, actively not understanding anything about God, whether it be an open Bible or, you know, they're going through YouTube and there I am preaching a skin, you know, skin Bible. And, you know, go to something else, go to some you know, weird cat video or something because they don't want anything about God. They are actively suppressing the truth, as it says in Romans 1. And so somebody who has this sort of heart will gravitate to any other sort of religion that makes them feel good, whether it be mysticism or spiritism or something where they are in control of what's going on. And so when they hear the gospel, they are not receptive at all. And Satan is able to take that away. Satan is not able, if somebody is actively seeking God and seeking things about God, Satan cannot take that truth out of a person's hearing, out of a person's head. But if they're, apparently, if their heart is stone, is hard, the, the gospel bounces off and, God, and Satan can come and grab it. These people, and you know, I want to say these people because it isn't us and them, we're all in the same thing together. But people with a hard heart uh, do not come to church to find out what's going on. They are not seeking anything about God. They are the people that you will talk to who have never been to church or haven't been to church since high school, things of this nature. While your rocky soil, are people who get involved in the excitement of church, the excitement of being saved, the excitement of what Jesus is doing. It sounds good to them that their sins can get forgiven. It sounds good to them that Jesus took the punishment and they want to be involved, but they don't have any roots of belief. They don't have any deep belief or understanding. Some would say that their belief is very surface, that their belief is through the flesh. 
And they, they may be, because they are so excited, very involved in a church. Some people may get uh, promoted to some level of authority in a church because they're very active, they're very vocal about their salvation. But when something external happens, some affliction, some persecution, when something external comes against them, and, and things like losing a job, losing a house, being forced to move, a company going out of business, uh, anything that can happen, you know, your, your whole retirement is in the stock market and now it's 35 cents. You know, financial difficulties that you can't control, something that's against you, externally, they will fade away. They will begin to say things like, how could God let this happen? Or if God loved me, this wouldn't happen. And they begin to judge God and they fade away. They wither away. They fall away. And it's very difficult if it's a major catastrophe, like a loved one dying or something of this nature, that they put wholly and solely on God and blame Him. It's very difficult for them to come back from that. Their, their heart almost gets seared against God because they put such value on something external to them, something in the world, and it failed them. The weeds, on the other hand, is internal stuff. If I am uh, claiming to be a Christian, but I am really, really, really caught up in the politics of the day, okay, or finances of the day, or we don't say it anymore, but keeping up with the Joneses, whoever the Joneses are. If you want the best and the newest thing so that people can like you, you're putting internal wealth, internal value on something in the world. It says in the passage that, uh, let's see, care, the, the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches. So they're very interested in how the world is operating or the things of the world. They're very uh, caught up in being rich. And on the surface, when they come to a Bible study with the church, they are very uh, get-things-done sort of people. They are very involved, and they may be in a church for decades, but eventually, caring for the world will destroy your heart. Loving money will destroy your heart, and eventually, whatever faith they have will get choked out. And they will leave the church, they will leave the faith. Now the rocky soil, the road, the weeds, these are all unsaved people. These are all people who maybe find Christianity interesting, but they, have, they don't believe in Jesus Christ, they don't believe who Jesus Christ is, they're just able to have the external trappings of a Christian, and these are unsaved people, a person perhaps during the first part of their life may be a rocky soil, then later on in their life a catastrophe happens and they become a road. And so the idea that an unsaved person is always this way or always that way is not true depending on how they're seeking truth. 
their soil quality can change. Okay? But as I said, the goal of this parable is for not for me to look at you and say, you're rocky soil. It is for me to look in the mirror and say, am I rocky or am I in the weeds? Or God forbid, I'm a rogue. Then you have the receptive ear, the heart of flesh, the heart that the Holy Spirit has been working on, the heart that is ready, and when they hear the gospel, they say, Yeehaw, I want it. They take it, they live it, and they are saved. Now, if you are good soil, you can never become rocky, weedy, or a road. Once you're good soil, you are stuck as good soil. In other words, once you're truly saved, you are always saved, but once you're lost, you're not always lost. See, the great thing about being lost is you can be saved. The great thing about being saved is you can never be lost again because you are living for God. You are living for Jesus. And so you have the, it says the fruit comes up a hundred times, 60 times, or 30 times. And what is that fruit? That fruit is found in Galatians 5, 20 through 23. But through the Spirit is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are, that's nine things, okay? So you can fit it on an index card and keep it with you. And what we can do if we are good soil and we are living for God, we can take faithfulness, for example, say, this week I'm going to work on faithfulness, and I'm going to pray that God will make me faithful, and that I look at things as to how faithful am I in it, and then you can look at gentleness. These are things that need to be present all to some degree. Notice Jesus said that some people uh, have a hundred times, some sixty, some thirty. Jesus does not say the thirty is bad. Or the hundred is better. We are all different people. We are all doing different things. God is working differently in all of us. We need to have some fruit. Or we are probably in the weeds. We need to be able to look at ourselves and see some level of fruit. And if God is convicting you that you are not gentle enough, well, pick gentle this week and pray about it. Ask God to give you opportunities to be gentle. And the more that this shows, the more people will see Christ in you. When we say, oh, he's a godly person, what are we saying? We're saying that this list is visible in their life. That's what a godly person is. That's what a spirit Lead person is. Nine things you can even memorize it if you want. You can write it on a card and you know make it the wallpaper for your phone. You can do keep it in front of you so that you know that if you are truly serving God, these things need to be evident. Now, if you read the rest of Galatians, these things are only evident when you are, or can be truthfully seen when you're amongst Christians. If you are, if you work at a gas station, and you say, I'm going to be kind or patient, nobody's going to see it. 
unless a Christian at the gas station knows you really well, because the world doesn't know these things. So you need to live these out in such a way that they are recognized by people who would understand them, people who are Christians. In Philippians it says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise to God. We have the righteousness of Christ. We need to live up to it. We need to live righteously. And I can pray about this. And I can say, God, where am I not righteous? And give me opportunities to be righteous. I can read through the 49 commands of Christ and say, oh, this is what righteousness is. And I can actively work on this. I can actively be good soil and produce things and produce fruit. And lastly, Colossians 1.6, it says, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. What Colossians is saying is, you look back at your life five years ago, assuming you were saved five years ago, You've been saved for five years. You need to look back and look at today and say, am I bearing more fruit? Am I more patient? Am I, do I have more self-control? Am I more loving? Am I more whatever God is working on you today? Because it needs to be increasing. You need to be better at it today than you were in the past and better at it tomorrow. Now, they're called fruit of the Spirit. There's the Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit. When you accept Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. So you are not being more loving. The Holy Spirit is being more loving through you. You are not being more faithful by forcing you. I'm going to be faithful today. No, it is the Holy Spirit being faithful through you. And the way it's supposed to work is the more you pray about it, the more you live for God, the more you will be these things, and you wouldn't have to lift a finger because the Holy Spirit is changing you from within. The Holy Spirit is changing you inside. So we are aware of these fruit. We pray about these fruit. I examine myself to make sure I'm not all messed up and in the weeds or in the rocks, but that I am good soil and I live for God. And the more that I do, the more the Holy Spirit will change you, the more the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit that is in you. And it is the fruit of the Spirit. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit. And that if we are truly saved, we can check ourselves, we can look at ourselves, we can examine ourselves, and we can pray for you to fill us with love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I pray that you would keep us aware of this, of the fruit that we are bearing, and that we would be people that are known as godly, fruit-bearing Christians. We thank you for all of this and for this parable. I ask your blessing on the remainder of the day. We ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen.
Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.